Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. All right, and we're back. Yes, sir. Back in the warehouse with my man Josh, Joshua Wearing. Yeshua, if you know me. <laughs> and it's your boy, Mikael. Uh, we're back with another episode of The Creative Gourd. Um, we've missed y'all. Absolutely. Hopefully you've missed us. Probably. Uh, I think so. I Everyone think so. needs some water bearers in their life. This is very true. Very true. And you're looking at two of the, I guess, most renowned Absolutely. water bearers. We have January and February covered. Hey. It's a lot to say. It's a lot to say. And if you know us, you know exactly what we're talking about. If you don't know us, maybe you should start Googling. Start Googling. <laughs> that would actually help us a lot, so please do so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, start Googling. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, but no, there's a lot going on right now. So much going on. Um, so many things to tackle. Mm-hmm. So many conversations to be had. Uh, and we're going to try to get to the, the top stories. Um, I think... One of the things that's been on my mind lately, because I've been watching TV, you know, I've had a little bit of summer break. Got some free time. Got some free time, you know. I was just scrolling the internets, you know, as they say, uh, looking on YouTube. Going through the digital grapevine. Go, the digital grapevine. DG, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Going through that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. There's, there's stuff happening in sports. There's stuff happening in politics. Um, and a lot of things are overlapping. Sports, politics, um, society is uh, in arms in a lot of different ways. Literally. In arms. And we'll get to that a little later. Uh, I think we'll save that for a little bit later. But let's start with some levity or um, something that's not as heavy as arms, so to speak. All right. Um, Let's start with uh, what's going on with your boy, Jay Hova. S. Carter. Okay. Um, So if you've been following along. Uh, it was announced that Jay-Z and Rock Nation, um, they did a partnership with the NFL. And it was a huge press conference. Uh, apparently, there wasn't media allowed to record in terms of like video footage, um, but they can do audio. And there were some folks who had their own video footage if they were just directly on them, which is pretty weird. Uh, they had a lot of limitations to what can be broadcasted and what can be seen. Right. But that's what happens when a bunch of powerful people get in a room and try to say that this is what can and cannot happen. Um, but Jay-Z has been getting a lot of flack. And in some cases, um, other folks on the other side of the coin have been praising this move. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about currently, um, the situation that uh, really prompted this partnership, when you think about Colin Kaepernick and uh, him kneeling, first sitting um, for the national anthem, and then after a veteran had talked to him that being more respectful would be kneeling. Thank you. So th- that's just, I'm sorry to cut you no, off. No, no, not like, at all. Please. I feel like a lot of people missed that point. Like he actually consciously went to a veteran. Like, how can I show as much respect as possible? But also, you know, using, no, also illustrating my first amendment rights of free speech. hundred percent. It's funny how people, I'm so glad you said that mm-hmm. because some folks, and we're going to get to it later, but some folks will literally literally take up arms to defend their second amendment, right? But when people try to defend their first amendment, right? They tell them to shut up, dribble. They tell them that you need to stand (laughs) and pay attention. But then they also say, you can't be a politician, just shut up and dribble. But then you're worried about someone who's not standing during the national anthem. Wouldn't you just say, just shut up and, I don't know, play on the field? So, the inconsistency is mm-hmm. a problem. And like I told you, you know, one of the things that is my pet peeve is intellectual inconsistency. <sighs> and when society has a double standard when it comes to race, gender, religion, it's just an issue, particularly if we live in a democratic society. So my question to you, sir. Yes, sir. Is when you found out about Jay-Z and NFL, Rock Nation, um, having his partnership, what were the first things that came to your mind and how do you feel about it? Well, the first thing I thought about, great question, by the way, was I need to know more. Mm. Because with, like you said, when a bunch of people who 
for all intensive purposes, are billionaires are in the same room making decisions similar to owners of a team and the commissioner, right? And you have someone else who is an expert and world renowned, world renowned for his entertainment ability, but also more recently, we have to give Jay-Z credit for his political awareness and how he's doing things in the community when before he wasn't doing it as much. So he's making a concerted effort to do that. So with that latitude, I was thinking like, okay, I'm thinking about it that way, but I'm still like not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear about what, you know, Nessa was saying and whatnot, and I'll be completely honest, she reminded me a lot of Aisha Curry hmm. with her kind of saying too much and doing hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. So think about it this way. If Colin Kaepernick, he settled with the NFL. Mm -hmm. So he had charge, you know, he, he, he sued the NFL saying that, you know, for collusion and whatnot, they paid him, which lets you know how they felt about it, paid, paid you 80 million. So with that $80 million, the way I'm looking at it, that's around about the money he would be earning as an NFL player. So when you take the money, I feel like it's understood you're not going to be playing. That that's just from my perspective. So when you know people had a very negative view, like "Oh, Cap, you sold out because you took the money." I think that's a great point, and I think that has to be weighed in this equation mm -hmm. because let's just say Kaepernick did not take any money, right, at all. Um, but then you see Jay Z swooping in with Rock Nation to have this deal. Then you can really say, what is going on? Exactly. So I think it is a little bit unfair if folks don't actually factor in that Colin Kaepernick did make money. And still, I know there was a lot of reports out there that said how much it was. And I'm not saying that it really matters, but it matters. Oh, it definitely <laughs> It definitely matters. Especially considering our last episode, it, it certainly oh, matters. Oh, oh, it, it really does matter. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, like, here's the issue. Take a step back. I always tell my wife, and I live by this too, mm -hmm. sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Amen to that. I would take it a step further and say sometimes it's not what you do, it's how you do, do it. it. Right. So there's a lot that we still need to see about this deal and what's going to come from it. Mm -hmm. Could it have been a money grab in the sense of Jay-Z is like, I understand, I'm, a, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man, man. right? Is he actually using this as an opportunity for leverage? Because if it's me, if it's me, I can understand a scenario where you use this opportunity as leverage to get into, like to get past the shield of the NFL, mm -hmm. to say, I'm not going to perform at halftime shows. However, cut me into a deal where I can help you out, particularly get this monkey off your back, pun intended. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that's how they feel. Exactly. Get this monkey off your back, right? And make sure that you can move forward from this and that the NFL doesn't continue to take any hits, right? And what better way to do that than model the NFL after the NBA, which I mean, including hip hop culture, mm -hmm. bringing it and put it into the forefront or at least attaching it to, to, to a league that's super white, even though the players are predominantly African-American, right? Um, I can see that if and only if, and there's reports that are saying that he has minor stock in, or, or minor ownership or something in a team, right. some NFL team, I can see that if you're using this as an opportunity to get into the old boys club and then make some moves from within, because people always make arguments like if you don't have a seat at the table or if you're not, you got to work from within, I can see that as a scenario. But if that's not the case and it's just a money grab and you're doing nothing for the people who have, one, put you at the place that you are now mm -hmm. in terms of supporting you in your music career and your journey, making you and Beyonce some of the richest people on earth, literally on this planet, like if, if you're not going to do something with this power move that you've done, then I'm going to look at you differently. So I, I just need to know more, like you said, and I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. But again, like you said, talking about Nessa, likening her to Aisha Curry, but Captain Nick hasn't said much. He might have bigged up other people's tweets, like Eric Reed's tweet, he might have said some things himself, but he hasn't really come out and said, are we still protesting? Are we still, uh, are we still not watching the NFL? Let's be clear. <laughs> Let's be real clear. People still watch the NFL game. Oh, they definitely They super that. excited. They still watching it. I'm not talking about everybody, but the majority of people have not boycotted like they said they had called for. It's very interesting. I felt like 
from my own anecdotal experience, the only time people were boycotting the NFL is when their teams were trash. Hmm. So that's you know that's very convenient for you to <laughs> take a political stand when your your team is not even worth watching. So that we'll we'll leave that to the side. We'll we'll take them at their word, mm-hmm. but we'll see if their uh, intellectual inconsistencies arise later. So that's that's number one. Number two, to your point, also very skeptical as well. So, but to Jay and Beyonce's credit, especially after people in Baltimore were getting arrested, they were you know. And they weren't even bringing attention to the fact that they were bailing people out of jail. So for mm-hmm. me, that's that's usually a, a great sign of doing things out of the kindness of your heart for the right reasons. So, again, that's why I'm granted. I have a massive Jay-Z bias. I think he's one of the best rappers of all time. However, I think he's earned that latitude in recent time, especially after becoming a father and you seeing him more conscious about how his actions, you know, affect the rest of the world even to the point of his music and lyrics mm-hmm. so I, for me i gotta i just gotta give him time and i i did hear about part about him being a, a part owner mm-hmm. of a team which is interesting because that's the type of per- out of all the people you want in that position i feel like it's him because mm-hmm. he'll he'll be the type of person to be like oh diddy come in mm-hmm. we'll, we'll both call on the team what's up mm-hmm. so think things like that but Considering he's an agent, I'm not sure if he's allowed to do exactly, that. exactly. So he might have to give up that piece again um, in in a certain way. But um, you bring up a lot of different points that I think are are, are brilliant to talk about. Um, and no disrespect to Jay Z, mm-hmm. no disrespect to Jay Z. First and foremost, you know, you know me and my bias, right? You know, I've I've never been the Jay Z fan we per ha- se. We have a uh, Nas fan, you from know, Harlem I mean, here. Best, okay. which is so like Ethan. <laughs> All I'm saying is. All I'm saying is, is that the same way people get upset for Colin Kaepernick not speaking, mm-hmm. I would say, no disrespect to Jay-Z again, but at that press conference, the sound bites that I heard, he didn't do the best job articulating what the partnership was, mm-hmm. how it came about, and what it meant for the people. He said, oh, we're past kneeling. Are we? He said that sometimes you have to move to action. That's true. But why can't you do both and? It doesn't have to be an either or situation. Folks can still kneel because the same reason why folks were kneeling mm-hmm. is still happening now. Police brutality, <clears throat> injustice of all different types. You can still have actionable steps that make sense while still protesting. And particularly because Jay-Z is not a football player, because he's not in the NFL, he might be attached to it. You know, he came across as being out of touch or using this as a power move using a political statement movement as a power move to get, I don't know if it's riches, I don't know if it's a partnership, I don't know if he has a, what's his long-term game plan? It could be all of the above, including social justice. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's a possibility. And, 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 and here's the thing, too. Folks might be so quick to really jump down at Jay-Z. Um, but again, look at Nike. Mm-hmm. Folks still buy Jordans, Right? And they might at the same time say, oh, Nike's terrible because Nike has sweatshops, etc." Allegedly. 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 Um, and then you have all these opportunities for folks to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to watch the NFL. And they might, they might not watch the NFL, but then they can stream it online. Mm-hmm. And you're not like really, you're not really paying for anything or supporting. You might go to a bar or a local establishment that's playing the game, but you're still watching the game. So maybe that's like you're boycotting while feeling good right. about it because you're not really actually attaching yourself to it, but you're still, it's your guilty pleasure, right? Sure. And then you have situations such as Colin Kaepernick, who was standing for the, you know, injustice and saying, we need to fight against this. We need to solve it. We need to correct it. Then he settles and he gets money and he's entitled to that. But let's also look at everything in totality. Nike made this deal with him, you know, had a nice little ad for him. And people were jumping down at Nike saying, okay, you can't have it both ways. You're over here doing stuff for the NFL, but then you're also doing stuff for Colin Kaepernick. And a lot of folks are like, oh, yeah, let's rock with Nike again, blah, 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 blah. And then Colin Kaepernick says, you can't do those things with the Betsy Ross shoes, with the flag that Betsy Ross did. Said all these things, right? So it's what we need to stop doing as a people is looking at a situation through one lens. The emotional one. The emotional lens. Before we get all facts, mm. we need to try to be our best at our best, try to be journalists and not pass any type of decision and try to get all the facts 
and be as objective as possible because who knows i would i would go to say that black folks in particular have been the ones who have been too out in the open with their message about their movement so sometimes we we really shouldn't be telling people what our plans are or we really shouldn't be broadcasting that this move that i'm about to do is exactly what i'm trying to do just hold on right because if we start to say what it is then it might get derailed or it might not even happen it's true you might lose all that momentum and to your point about kaepernick not saying anything i'm just thinking you know from uh let's say a legal frame of mind since my father is an attorney mm-hmm. i'm thinking how the nfl does business how they cer- certainly love gag orders let's say especially in contracts mm-hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me if in colin kaepernick's deal he agreed to not say anything further about it and after talk about deal, it yeah that, legally right yeah and after that deal was made you haven't heard anything from him. that's very true that, you know what thank you for bringing up because i wasn't even thinking about that i didn't even think about that um and again it talks about power mm. power and it talks about what are you like everyone has a price literally everyone has a price for better or for worse, everyone has a price it might not be a monetary value it might be respect mm-hmm. but something everyone can be bought in one way shape or form um particularly in a society that's already corrupt um particularly in a capitalistic society that if you can get the most money then you can really have a little bit more room to maneuver and do things uh and another thing about the whole jay-z situation i think i can't remember who i want to say it was paul robeson but I, I don't know exactly who was the person with the quote but they said sometimes you have to be a capitalist in order for you to be a socialist. And that's fair, too, because you're not going to be, to use one of Jay-Z's quotes, I can't help the poor if I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I was actually talking to Nashi's mom about this, Miss Monica. Like sometimes you need to be strategically and appropriately selfish. Mm-hmm. So similar to when you're on an airplane, they tell you to put your mask on first 100%. before assisting others, even if one of those others might be your children because you can't be frantic and out of air and trying to put their mask on. So you have, you have to focus, put your mask on first and then assist others. It's a great analogy. Um, and I think what we need to wait to see is, you know, sometimes we're so quick to judge right away. Mm-hmm. It's okay to ask questions. Mm. I think it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be skeptical. That's fine, but we shouldn't pass judgment. Sometimes we rush to judgment. Mob mentality. Mob mentality. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah, he did this. Jay-Z should have done this. Then there's other folks like, nah, it's the best move. And it goes back to the old argument of whether or not you have a seat at the table and whether or not you can make more impact working within an organization as opposed to from the outside in. So I guess we'll have to wait to see. It's true. And to use a, a tech analogy, since we're in the age of Silicon Valley, Jay-Z is a disruptor. So with title, disrupted the the music industry. And when he initially came into the music industry, he didn't have any, you know, deals with any labels. He had a distribution deal with Def Jam. So he was still getting all his royalties and whatnot via that. So he's always been a disruptor. So he's not doing anything out of the norms. So it's kind of like, that's why I'll give him that latitude to wait and see, to see what actually happens. A hundred percent. And I think that's fair. And what bothers me though, is that, the same, way, the same way that folks are like, oh, you know, he's just a rapper. Mm. You know, he's a businessman. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be the one who's the face of a movement or the one who's speaking out for people. Okay, that can be fair. But at the same time, if we know what hip-hop is, it's actually a vehicle for black voices, angry black voices, speaking the truth to power, speaking out against the establishment. So I think he could be a person, particularly if you want to give him the reins to say, hey, listen, we expect more from you. I think we need to see exactly where this is going. Um, additionally, though, mm-hmm. what bothers me, like I said, is the fact that there are so many rich, rich people in the culture who, if they wanted to, and I'm talking about even NFL players, because mm-hmm. there are some NFL quarterbacks, there are some folks who've made their money, there are some folks who are actually in the media. If they wanted to, they can actually have a bigger and better impact than the Jay Z to help change things, particularly as it pertains to the NFL. You talk about certain politicians. Okay, you marched, you protest. What else are you doing? What deals are you making? What, what things are you doing to help move the needle? So before you cast that stone at Jay-Z, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Because we can look at a person like Charlemagne the God, <laughs> right? And we can see exactly that he raised some good questions about Jay-Z's participation. 
But I could also raise some questions about some of the things he's been involved in and some of the things he participates in that might be detrimental to the culture. That's fair. So I need to know, one, how come there's not other folks actually trying to, and maybe they are, maybe they are, give them benefit of the doubt, but how come there aren't other folks, particularly those who have power, money, and influence, making a bigger deal to support Colin Kaepernick in other ways, or support the things that they stand for, not just one person individually, but support the causes that they stand for, um, fighting against police brutality, fighting against injustice, fighting against unfair treatment, wages, et cetera. Why aren't they actually doing something, taking those actionable steps like Jay-Z was talking about, um, as opposed to just throwing the stones and saying, well, what you did is wrong, you're a sellout. I need more information before I can definitively call him that. And you know I really want to call Jay-Z that if I want, because you know, know, Team Nas. But, we need more information. Plus, I don't really bang with Brooklyn anyway. <laughs> Harlem world. <laughs> it's very interesting, though, because going back to your original point about intellectual inconsistency, a lot of people who are saying Jay-Z was a sellout, you weren't saying Colin Kaepernick was a sellout when he yep. made the deal. Wonder why. It's very interesting. And it's all about money. Mm-hmm. Because you can't get mad at Jay-Z if it's like, okay, Jay-Z's making money from this deal. All right. Colin Kaepernick made money from his deal. And what Jay-Z said, which was accurate, but again, <laughs> sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And more importantly, is when you say it right. and where you say it. So when they were like, oh, let's remember, the kneeling wasn't about Colin Kaepernick not having a job. People didn't continue to kneel because they were trying to get him a job. That's true. <laughs> but that's not the time to say it. <laughs> and you should really think about not trying to fan the flame, so to speak, particularly when people are like up in arms, because it comes off as defensive. Mm-hmm. And it also comes across as like, fam, I'm good. I made a deal. It's me. I'm doing what I got to do. Y'all should do what y'all got to do. You got a problem? Do it. It's almost coming across like Bill Cosby, right? Mm. Uh, pull up, pull up your pants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got like doing all those things. Right. And um, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm interested to see what this partnership is going to entail, how they bring more, more, I hope critical consciousness to light as opposed to just bringing an influence in hip-hop culture to, to increase the bottom line of the players. I mean, of, excuse me, of the NFL. My thing is, if there's other things that are written into the deal, like if more money and more revenue is, a, is accumulated because of this partnership, I hope that in one way he can negotiate that players actually get more money or more revenue share or get more guaranteed contracts or something like that. I honestly think, and I'll say here live right now, I think that him being involved is one step closer to guaranteeing that. So not only are they getting more, not only the players getting more share of the profits, especially since the profits still were going up, because there was a, about five years, uh, like the past five years has been around $9 billion. Mm-hmm. And then recently, with all this hoopla that we're discussing, it escalated to $11 billion. Mm-hmm. So they're seeing the correlation, and it seems as if, the players, I feel the players are going to get more money. They're going to get guaranteed contracts eventually because Jay-Z has a very close relationship with basketball. He sees the wisdom of that. Surely, I feel like he's going to bring that type of mindset to the NFL owners in a way that they can, you know, accept. 100%. I think this is just, um, and I'll, I'll go, I'll say this live. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is an opportunity that folks who have been in power for years, and particularly, there's usually white men, right? Um, particularly when you talk about business. Folks who have been in power influence of, for years, they're now, and they, I'm talking about rational people. I'm not talking about the crazies. I'm talking about rational people. They're now realizing that they cannot sustain their business. They cannot grow their business. They cannot operate their business to its fullest potential and its highest capacity without black culture. They've had power to box that out. They've had power to say that means nothing to us is not going to affect us. But now what we're seeing is that they can't. Why? As we know, rap, hip-hop, is purchased mostly by young white men. They're like the number one consumers of it. Like actually buying albums. And women, stream And too. women as well. Yeah. And, and hip-hop culture is a global export, number one. Number two, everybody in their mama knows rap. Everybody in the mama knows a hip-hop genre. They know Jay-Z. They know Beyonce. Household names. Household names. Probably more so than some athletes. 100%. 
and we're starting to see the dominance that actually can is undeniable now. Mm-hmm. So before where it's like, oh yeah, that's just one person. Oh, that's just uh, but that's just you can no longer like neglect people who have not been a part of the old boys network. If you want to, be, if you want to be sustainable, particularly moving to a place that's going to be a majority minority in what twenty forty three, something like that. So we have to think about that, and I think we're starting to see folks like you know what, we got to give somebody a seat at the table because we have this business. How do you make sure that you keep your business thriving? And if your profit margin is going down, how can you increase it? How can you expand your brand? And they they realize they're starting rational, rational white men in particular, rational white women, folks who have been in, in places of power. They're starting to realize that they cannot neglect us, not only as consumers, but actually people who can create as well. It's true. And again, out of all people in that arena, pun intended, to do this with, I feel like Jay-Z because he's the person who has immense respect in the music industry, specifically the hip hop community, but has also literally made more money from his business adventures than he does his actual talent that put him on. Yep, yep. So, in the words of Jay-Z and R. Kelly, (laughs) not guilty. (laughs) Until further notice. (laughs) Now, Now we're curious about what you guys think. How do you guys perceiving these events put them in the comments let's let's have a discussion perhaps one of the best comments will be answered in the next episode sounds good sounds good so let's see what you got and uh always use respect and no profanity what do you have come on (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like a natural segue from this topic would be to talk about the latest conversation about LeBron James and his parenting in terms of his son during AU games where he's in the layup lines and mm-hmm. dunking and whatnot. We have uh, pundits like Jason Whitlock <laughs> who thought this was very attention grabbing by LeBron. Now it's very interesting because we don't know how the kids felt about it, mm-hmm. but it looked like they were having a wonderful time because after all, it was all about the kids. It's a team that he sponsors. Mm-hmm. And I know personally, I've been I've been lucky enough to have Carmelo Anthony sponsor my AU team. So shout out to Melo. Thank you, Melo, for, you know, helping kids travel around the world to play basketball right, at right. a high level. So right. I appreciate that. But if Melo wanted to come in the layup line, you think anybody's going to have a problem <laughs> with that? Seriously. Not at all. And th- Listen, when, when I was watching this and what's bothering me now about these shows is that you can specifically see when they run out of information and run out of stories to talk about. So this offseason, all these shows, whether it's Speak for Yourself, mm-hmm. whether it's Undisputed, whether it's First Take, First Things First, because they had a nice little run with, with free agency. Basketball free agency was crazy this year. Yes. It was popping, right? So they had so much stuff to talk up to. All the way, I mean, so much stuff to talk about all the way up until like almost the beginning of football season for them to talk about football season. And what we saw is that once like free agency really like all that stuff just fizzled out, we saw that there was not much to talk about. And it pained me because I would turn on my favorite show, which is Undisputed, mm-hmm. watching that. And it pained me because I'm like, y'all literally are struggling for stories. So much so that you have to start talking about LeBron James being in the lake. Who cares? Here's my thing. You know how much money it costs to go to a basketball game? I don't you know why because i can't even think about buying one a ticket to get there so i know it's a lot even in the nosebleeds mm-hmm. right even in nosebleeds and you mean to tell me you could be front row and see lebron james for free thank you for bringing that up because that that was my number one point about all this because if you know about the au circuit the reason why there's so much sponsorship involved is usually you're getting kids from neighborhoods that the type of neighborhoods that lebron would grow up in Mm -hmm. so their parents are out working so they can't go to the games to watch the kids play which is why they need the sponsorship as well because the parents can't afford it so again to your point people who can't afford to go to the games actually now get to see lebron you know in a very informal way in a very approachable way and you get to see him dunking and showing his athletic ability that you wouldn't ever be able to see 100 percent. here's the thing which, which is funny, and I like it. Maybe this is not the best analogy, but let's just say, you know, you have a child, or I have a child, and we're like, yo, my little boy, he's going to have a little birthday party 
at, at, at this playground. And it's going to be cookouts. It's going to be dope. We're going to have a lot of pickup basketball games. Pull up. You come through playing basketball, whatever, like one-on-one, two-on-two. Then we start to have five-on-five. We're just running full court. And all of a sudden, LeBron James rolls up. What? And he comes through, and he wants to get in the pickup game. You're going to be like, nah, sorry. We're having a private event here. We're having a party for my son. No, 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 you can't play. Are you going to do that? No. Hell no. If I'm playing pickup basketball, and we're having five-on-five, and I got next, right? And I got my team picked out. It's like me, you. Sheed, you know, and two other people, right? And LeBron James walks into the gym, was like, "Yo, who's running? Who got next? Can I run with y'all?" I was, listen. One of those other two ain't getting on the court. <laughs> LeBron rocking with us. Are you kidding me? Right. And people say, "Oh, he he needs to stop. He needs to fall back. He he's he's trying to make everything about himself." LeBron don't need to make everything about himself. People make everything about LeBron. Which is interesting, considering to your original point, because in the summer. Even the journalists and the sportscaster will admit there's no there's no stories. You can't really cover baseball until the fall because mm-hmm. that's when it you know that's when it matters. And everything else is a dull until football season. So I get it. You're sensationalizing. That's literally what you get paid to do. However, if you're an African American like Jason Whitlock, you would think when the narrative is that usually black fathers aren't in their children's lives then you actually see a black father being in their children's lives to this extent and in the lives of other children thank you so this is very interesting out of all things that you would you know harp on that to criticize and certain things just don't make any sense and i understand that no one's above criticism and i understand that everybody's entitled to opinion and i understand that superstars usually get a lot of scrutiny Mm. for better or for worse and sometimes it's deserved other times it's not it comes with the territory But to even draw any type of parallels to whether or not that's good parenting, that's problematic. Right. One, let's just talk about this. It's parenting, which is a problem because a lot of folks don't even parent. He's there. He's involved. Not just financially. He's not just cutting a check. He's there physically. He's there actually going through it. And everybody always talks about, oh, yeah, he moved to L.A. because he wanted to uh, chase a, a, a movie career. No. Yeah, good schools for Bronny. They had a house out there already, living good for the family. He's a family man. He's a fa- he's he's proved a lot. He doesn't really have much left to prove. I, I think he still can do a lot of things and still accomplish a lot. But what he's done for the culture, that's why when we get I know you're a Michael Jordan fan. I know you love Michael Jordan. I know. But he also said Republicans buy shoes as well. Yes, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And if you think about what an athlete has done for the culture, what an athlete has done not only for his own family, but for families of others who are either interested in basketball or not. He's done so much for the culture. He's done so much to change the game and the landscape. He's done so much to change the consciousness of an athlete. He's done so much. And the reason why people pick on him is because, like Obama, he doesn't really have much scandal that's attached to him. You don't hear a lot of scandals coming up about LeBron James. Just like you ain't hear things about, you know, things happening in the Oval Office with Obama, right? That's right. So when someone's that clean, when someone's that, uh, you know, unblemished, people find a way to just poo-poo and throw stuff all over people. And see what sticks, right? And see what sticks. The old, uh, was it how monkeys throw mm-hmm. their feces at? And, mm-hmm. you know, that's exactly like that. that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just really interesting when folks have a lot to say and yes should lebron be running on the court during the celebration maybe not especially if he loses his sneakers at least tie your sneakers fam <laughs> like what, what we did talk about was how his shoe fell off so quickly brother keep your body in shape you know and he's got his taco tuesdays things going on everybody wants to talk about that i get it all i'm saying is let that man live let that man love on his son mm. let that man love everybody who's with his son I'm sure none of the parents care. I'm sure LeBron probably treat them to lunch, dinner, whatever. I'm sure LeBron really shows up and shows out for not only his son, but everybody who's on that team too. And I think that's something that folks should be happy about. It's true. And I have to give a shout out to Ebro in the morning at Hot 97 for bringing up this point. If he had been doing this the entire time, we would have known about it. We would have seen it. This This looks to be like either a one or two time thing. It wasn't like it's consistent throughout. It's not like he's doing layup lines every single at scrimmages and whatnot, every single tournament. 
Not to mention, and if we're going to go back to the facts of the AU circuit, the fact that LeBron is intending your game, now there's more eyes on the opposing team's players. So not only mm-hmm. that, now you're benefiting as well. Exactly. It's like, listen, I just want him in the gym. If my son's playing AAU basketball, I just want him in the gym. I don't my son doesn't have to be on the team that he's sponsored. I just want LeBron in the gym because if my son's good at all, or even if my son just has a chance to see him, or my daughter has a chance to see him, please, I'll take that in a heartbeat. Exactly. And I think shout out to Kendrick Perkins who actually brought this point up and people try to knock it down. They said, Tom Brady wouldn't get flack mm. if he was out there throwing passes to his child. Right. They said the same way LeBron was out there, they said, Tom Brady wouldn't get the same amount of scrutiny. People wouldn't even think about doing And folks were like, oh, yeah, we would. We, no. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Y- y'all got mad at him and was scrutinizing him for jumping off the cliff with his daughter. That makes sense. But if he was out there throwing a football and everybody was trying to catch him and he's like, go long, no one would say anything. They'd be like, look at Brady. Oh, such a humanitarian. Oh, he's the greatest of all time. Oh, he's even sharing his skills with the next generation of athletes. That's what it would be. And that's how I viewed the LeBron James situation. What do you guys think? <laughs> Love to know your thoughts. Uh, as always, you know, maybe we'll take a look at some of the comments. It's probably something we missed, probably something we didn't think about. Maybe something a little more nuanced. We'd love to hear it, and then we'd love to share it if possible. Absolutely. That's that one-off scenario. I was watching something because I was trying to prepare too. Mm-hmm. So I was watching something on YouTube. And Neff was like, so it was these two white boys. They was talking about guns, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, so you had a story to share about, about the last time we went to a meeting about uh, AR-15 and, you know, why. So we went there. The guy was like, yeah, so I was there. And, like, I, we was, th- there was only one person there who was, like, one of the oldest people there. She was 65 years old, 65-year-old woman. And, um, you know, we asked her, like, why do you need an AR-15? Like, why, why would you need one? And, and she said to me that, you know, her, her wrists her wrist are weak. And because her wrists are weak, like, she wouldn't be able to handle, like, a, a Colt 45 or, or, or a 9mm because, you know, just the cockback of it would just, like, throw her hand back. And, like, she wouldn't, like, it might be able to, it might jam, it might misfunction or misfire. So she needs an AR-15. I'm like, fam, is this, the, this, is, this is the reason that you're trying to say that AR-15 should be available to people? Like, <laughs> like... Okay, so she got weak wrists, and she's going to be able to handle just pulling the trigger and all that. Like, really? Really? Come on. (laughs) It's like, really? That's that's what you're talking about right now? The excuses that people make. The stories and stuff they go through. Right? (laughs) 30 Rock. Mm-mm-mm. Crazy. The front, the craziest thing. Trump was wilding. Trump was like, hatred and mental illness pulled the trigger, not the gun. Duh. <laughs> A gun can't pull its own trigger. Right. And it's like when you start to get in these stupid arguments and you start to frame conversations a certain way, you're already boxed into a circle. You can't debate it, especially with a person who's stupid and has that much power in a bloody pulpit. And I think that's quite strategic. Yes, 100%. Even though it's a bit of a, a pot kettle conundrum, considering one could argue you are perpetuating that hate mentality. It's very true. You know, food, food for thought. Very true. So as you guys can hear, we're talking about the issue of gun control. And more specifically, as we were discussing before, it's not necessarily the issue of having guns. It's the reason why these massacres are happening and how to address that as opposed to the actual guns. Yeah. And I, so, as I mentioned before on the podcast, my background is in policy analysis and management mm-hmm. um, and the concentration in consumer policy. Um, so I always look at things in terms of positive and negative externalities. Um, and what I mean by that is when laws come into place, there are some positives that come from them 
and there are some negatives that come from them. So, for example, when they started to put it in red light cameras, red light cameras, some of the positive externalities is that you have less fatalities uh, because folks are not running as many red lights as they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you have um, better safety on the roads because people are now not speeding. Um, they are paying attention a little bit more so because that way they have to pay attention to the lights. Um, but some of the negative externalities is a person who's a good driver, a person who usually obeys the laws, a person who usually um, is not speeding. It might be that one day that they're running late for work and all of a sudden they really try to take that yellow light and they're not familiar with that space and maybe it might be one of those quick yellow lights. Yeah, like in Philly, right? Like in Philadelphia, some spaces, especially on Roosevelt Boulevard, a lot of places, mm-hmm. take that quick yellow light and then all of a sudden it's red get that ticket get that ticket in the mail and now it's a negative externality because a person who usually drives well one time they make that mistake or the one time they actually do something that's out of their character they now have to pay this huge fine so that's some of the negative externalities that come from stuff so when we talk about this whole notion of laws mm-hmm. talk about this whole notion of rights we can't really have a conversation that's uh divorced from how things have been in the history of time how things have gotten to the place that they are now and we can't also act like the Second Amendment means what it means now without thinking about what it meant before. A thousand percent. So as I talk to you about off camera, when it comes to the aspect of guns, I was literally drawing a blank <laughs> <laughs> simply because guns aren't really my thing. I mean, mm-hmm. because I see the type of damage they can inflict in the wrong hands is just it's just not really something that you know really interests me in terms of owning one let's say but the concept and the philosophy and the ethos of the second amendment i completely understand because the second amendment and i was talking to my dad about this who's an attorney the whole aspect of the second amendment is to prevent tyranny so the actual citizens of the state can take arms if the establishment is messing up and being able to protect themselves from that 100 percent. and i guess just to, to go back mm-hmm. go way back to the founding of this 1776 that's right? right when there's a bunch of white men in the room talking about what they're going to do mm-hmm. for this new country right you had the federalists and you had the anti-federalists federalists excuse me and you know the federalists was talking about we need to have a central government Anti-Federalists said we need state rights. Um, one was talking about we need to have a, like a central army or a central military. And the Anti-Federalists was like, no, we need to have state militias, mm. right? All this stuff is still present today. Right. You have literal, before if you think about it, you have folks that were state militias, and these militias turned into, I don't know, KKK. These militias turned into other neo-Nazi organizations, hate groups, folks who still subscribe to the same reasons why they needed guns back then. Right. And a lot of it was out of fear and insecurity. Insecure that the position that they took, literally took, stole to be in power. Um, and the fear that those who they took it from or those who they used to take their power, such as enslaved people, mm-hmm. the fear of them rebelling or overcoming them. Retribution. Which came to fruition during some of the slavery days. You could talk about Nat Turner's revolt mm-hmm. and raid on Harper's Ferry, a number of different things, right? Talk about all these situations. Folks are like, I need a gun. Folks who I think, I think it was Colt, the person who invented the, the Colt 45. Okay. I think his quote was, the gun is the, is the great equalizer. Oh, so he said that. I believe so, okay. if I'm not mistaken. He said the gun is the great equalizer. And you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? Because if that's the great equalizer, that means that you didn't feel equal before and who did you not feel equal with? Right. And usually it's loners who are doing these mass murders. So there's a lot of emotional turmoil. There's a lot of isolation and some people can't handle that. Or to your point, they can't handle feeling that insecure about themselves. So they level up with a, uh, with a gun. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, we talk about this all the time. And you know, the reason why I talk about my whole policy announcement management thing, the thing I learned the most is about the importance of framing something. Oh, yes. So when you see politicians, particularly if you talk about a debate, right? Let's just, let's, I give some examples of framing something. So you talk about, you've, I'm sure many people have heard about the achievement gap, right? It's not really an achievement gap. The achievement gap says that these folks who are not doing as well 
as those who are wealthy, those who are, who might be um, white, wealthy, have higher socioeconomic status in their families, might have more stable income, stable family environment. They're achieving at a higher level than those folks who are coming from the inner city, those folks who might be of color, those folks who have lower socioeconomic status. They say it's an achievement gap. But the issue is that there's a limited resource for those folks who don't have as much money, who don't have as much power and influence. So it's not an achievement gap, it's really an opportunity gap, right? Because those Same, resources create opportunities. Because those resources create opportunities. So we're already arguing about the wrong thing because it's been framed as an achievement gap. So now I have to argue with you whether or not these folks who are not doing as well are not doing as well because they can't achieve as high as someone else. No, we have to frame the conversation different. So when we start to argue about gun control, mm -hmm. why are we talking about gun control? Right. Control is a negative connotation for a lot of people because what they hear is you can't control me. Right. They start to think big government. They start to think, you know, it's going to be tyranny. You're not going to control me. You can't take my guns. Right. Mm -hmm. They start to think these things. We need to talk about what it even means to have a gun. So let's talk about gun ownership. Right. right? Instead of gun control, talk about gun ownership and responsible gun ownership. Instead of talking about gun control, let's talk about what it means to have people who are so enamored with violence. And where is that coming from? Video games, reality television. You have a number of different things that's really causing this thing. So I, for me, it's not always about the what. We know what the what is. Guns are killing people. Mm -hmm. And people might say, well, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Okay, but why? And let's be real. If that same person who's using a gun to kill someone didn't have one, how would they be as effective? Particularly when you talk about these assault rifles, right? There's a lot of folks who are like, well, you know, the answer to, to gun control and solving all these mass murders is to have people have more guns. Oh, is to no. have someone who is responsible with more guns. Well, we've seen that's false because guess what? In Parkland, you had folks outside, trained officers who refused to go in the building. So really? that's false. Yes, you have wow. folks who refuse. Yet you're trained, you have, a, you have a firearm, you refuse to go in the building to stop the bad guy. Right. And that's literally what you're trying to do, like SWAT. Exactly. So when you make these when these folks make all these straw man arguments about if we had this, if we had that, things will change. It's literally the, the equivalent of just punting the football. They're just kicking the can down the road because they literally don't want to change anything. So they get folks caught up in emotional rhetoric to put where we're fighting and arguing over things that should not be fighting. Like we should not be fighting over certain things. It's this is the data. People are dying unnecessarily and we can do something about it. It's just the folks that have to have their guns out of fear and security, which we need to dig in deeper about the fear and insecurity where that stems from and how that's projected. But these folks are the ones who are like, no, well, we second amendment, second amendment, second amendment. It's the right to bear arms. That's the right to abuse them, not the right to use them, not the right to do all these damage and chaos. It's crazy. It's true. And it's the total mentality and adding to your point, like even, so the point about video games, like you and I could play Grand Theft Auto and, you know, <laughs> run over people with cars and shoot mm -hmm. and do shoot people in there. But we're not going to do that in real life. Got to get your points. Got to st stack your points up. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a different mentality. Mm -hmm. So we have all these brilliant people and these illustrious institutions. Is there any way that you can measure someone who can do that mentally? That's a great question because here's the thing. We have to ask the question about death and about who has the right to kill. So we talk about the death penalty, right? Mm -hmm. I would hope that, and I say I would hope, because what I was about to say, I would hope that the people who are in positions of power are mentally stable. Mm. <laughs> I, would, I would hope that. Good luck with that, bro. I would hope that. <laughs> you know, I mean, may, maybe they're not. But I would hope that, right? All I'm saying is, you have folks who literally say, this is a law, you get the death penalty. So you're killing someone. It's not, it's not by fire squad or anything, but you're killing someone. So this, this, this correlation that the folks who use guns and like do mass murders, they have some type of mental illness, that's false. Right. That's false. And again, that's another scapegoat. That's another strongman argument, another thing that just gets us moving forward. And I'm offended, and I'm sure folks who particularly are a part of the mental health community, who, have, who suffer with mental illness um, or, or try to help those with mental illness, I'm sure they should be offended too because you're using someone as a foil 
or using a, a, a organization, a group as a as a foil for your your political uh, schemes. Sure, you're using the insanity plea, and people. Let's all right. Let's be completely honest. These attacks were so strategic and well thought out, completely th- thought out. So they knew where people would be at a certain time. They had the requisite amount of bullets for the most amount of damage at a certain specific amount of time at a certain location. So it was they were very conscious in what they were doing. Yes, and that's not mentally ill. That's having ill will in your heart. Right. That's having hatred in your heart. That's being consumed with the idea that, one, you might be a loner and you feel lonely and you feel like the world's out to get you or the world's not going to work for you. And there's opportunities for you to... I guess get even or get back because you felt like you've been done wrong. Um, that, that's, to my knowledge, that's not mental illness. Right. Right. It's a person who needs therapy. It's a person who needs help. It's a person who might have anger management issues. It's a person who might have racist innuendos in their head or things that they've been taught. But we have to ask ourselves, like, in a in a capitalistic society, in a place that really, really drives home and sells things to us that are dangerous to us, whether it's alcohol, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's guns. Uh, We have to ask ourselves, what's the big hoopla about owning a gun? Folks are talking about they want to protect their homes, they want to protect their family. From who and when? Like, usually when you, like, and I think the the study is showing, the data shows, whenever something happens, right, is usually... Like when they talk about firearms and there's mm-hmm. like, you know, situations is usually by someone who knows that person. Usually. That's what the stats show. It's not. It's, so you're not protecting yourself from some foreign entity or some foreign person who's just going to come and rage a house. And I believe there's some correlation with those stats among people who break into your home to take things. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. So the question becomes, again, what are people saying who, who are arguing for their like and I understand like. I, buy, I bought a home security system for my house. Do I think that my house is going to be robbed? I don't think so. And I think we have a strong block and a strong neighborhood that we we pretty much have neighborhood watch. We're looking out for each other. And I think that just from seeing the ADT sign, mm-hmm. it would deter folks, hopefully, hopefully right. from even trying. But again, what are you protecting? Like, if I wanted to protect my house, you can protect your house with a security system. But my security system is not going to shoot at anybody. Right. So when someone says protect, are they really talking about protection? Or are they talking about, you know what, I got to defend myself. And I have to defend the fact that, you know, I'm thinking that this person is going to come in with X, Y, and Z. They're going to come in with guns drawn or whatever the case may be. And I just, the pathology or the, like the thought process that goes into it. But it's crazy because you can't really have this argument because everyone's coming from a different perspective. Right. right? You have folks who live in the proverbial hood. And we don't, let's not even talk about how the guns got there mm-hmm. into the inner cities. Yeah. Because last time I checked, I'm from Harlem. Folks are not making guns in Harlem. They're not being manufactured in Harlem. You know what I mean? My folks on the block, they're not making guns. They might make other stuff, turn cocaine into crack, but oh. they're not making guns. Allegedly. Allegedly. But you're right. They do not have the infrastructure to militarize themselves. Exactly. So where are the guns coming from? And... What's crazy to me is we talk about immigration. We talk about drugs and how we can't allow these things into our country. When's the last time you heard about not being able to allow firearms into our country? I haven't heard that. You think they're all being made in America? Not at all. Um, why are we so infatuated? And I don't say we as me and you. I say we as a, as a country, as a society. As, why a are people, we so, yeah. as a people. Why are we so infatuated with a gun? To quote Friday, <laughs> this is a natural segue. To quote Friday, remember Pops, Craig's father in Friday. Mm-hmm. He was like, what are you doing with a gun, son? What are you doing with a gun? I remember back in my day, we used these, right? You win some, you lose some. But you live to fight another day. These young whippersnappers nowadays, they don't throw hands. They throw bullets. And remember what he said in addition to that? Y'all are too scared to get an ass whooping. 100%. You're too scared to lose. And then there's that insecurity. Insecurity and fear. So you're, you're insecure and you have fear of failure or fear of losing. So, and you're thinking about this whole one-up culture too. 
I gotta usurp you. It's almost like, mm, yes. I get okay. the new whip. I get a new. I got a Maserati right now. But let's just say I had a Maserati, mm-hmm. right? Pull up on the block. Folks are like, oh snap! Next thing you know, somebody comes out with a Lamborghini truck. Not because they needed it, but because they saw I had a Maserati and they wanted to stunt harder than me. Some folks, they get a nine millimeter. Oh, you got a nine millimeter? Okay. They come and get an AR-15, an assault rifle, right? And it's like, what? Wait, are you? You're collecting guns? Like, there's some things that just don't make sense to me about what you collect. Like, some folks have like liquor collections. I get it. Are you ever going to drink any of it? Are you going to share with people? Like, what are you? Why are you collecting it? What's what's the? So why are you collecting all those guns? Literally, there was someone. I think my wife. She watches reality TV sometimes, right? And there was one thing. Um, I think it was Teen Mom. And there was one guy who got kicked off the show. It was the spouse of one of the women. I think her name was Janelle. Because, one, he's, he's on some crazy stuff. And I think, he, I think he's abusive and abusive to her. And, some other, and he was just drinking a lot and doing all this other stuff. But he literally was stockpiling bullets. And he was showing videos. What? Stock, like stockpile. Because, again, there's a lot of people out there in their mind. Folks who've been watching and following, and again, it goes back to insecurity, guilt for what has happened, what ancestors have done, right? Right? It's, so, it's funny because some folks are quick to say that they don't know what white privilege is, but they have so much white guilt. And the two are not different in the sense of like not being attached to each other. So like, I don't know what white privilege is, but somehow deep in your, in, in your, in your psyche, inside your heart, you have white guilt or you're afraid that the tables are going to turn. What tables are going to turn if you don't have privilege? What are you thinking about? So there's some folks now who are insecure who think that we are going to do what they did to us, to them, and they, they have in their mind a race war. And as we see, 45 is stoking the flames mm. to divide the country to make that dream a reality for some people in the sense of, you know what? See, there, there's an invasion. Mm-hmm. You know, they're coming over in a caravan. So they're, they are essentially trying to explain away their insecurities so in addition to what you were saying before i feel like esoterically they're not understanding what life is all about because life is about losing and it's how you respond to that loss that defines you so they're trying to prevent from ever losing by getting a gun that's a good point and and since when was, you know, they talk about the gun being a great equalizer, but when, when was the, the gun, like we, we always talk about rights, mm-hmm. but what about righteousness? Oh. And, and what, what, what does the Second Amendment right guarantee people? And it's the right to bear arms, yes, we, 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 we could talk about that all the time. But again, it's the right to bear arms, yes. But the problem is this, people are not getting over a fight in the store because someone refused to sell me a gun. Mm-hmm. People are literally losing their lives and it's being sold to people because it's super easy. It's easier to get a gun than it is to get your driver's license in a lot of different ways. It's true. And there's a lot of people on the road who can't drive. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to make it harder. So again, it's not about gun control. It's about gun ownership and it should be about responsible gun ownership. I think that we're talking about things you can own the same way folks can smoke cigarettes if they want to, the same way folks can drink alcohol if they want to, the same way folks could travel from state to state if they can. How can we, as a society, if we really care about our people, if we really care about things such as mental health, if we really care about protecting our young, how can we empower people but at the same time responsibly promote the fact that you can't just be out here wilding? You have all these open carry states that literally you can carry, like you can literally put an assault rifle on your shoulder. Right. Why? What's that for? Are you flexing? Like, what, what is that for? Why are you walking around with a gun in your shoulder? You really need that go to get your hair cut? Absolutely not. And I mean, it's kind of like one of those things. I feel like if you ever pull out a gun on around anyone else and no one knows you have a gun, you pull out a gun, you can't put the cat back in the bag. Like You can't be like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm just showing you my... No, mm-hmm. you, not at you, all. you pulled out a gun in front of me. Not for, at all. For what purpose? Not at all. And I'll, I'll never forget this because, like, honestly, I, I can't... 
I can't let this whole segment go by without talking about the racial undertones and situation that is really attributed to gun control, gun ownership, whatever you want, however you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. My grandfather worked for a very long time, RIP, worked for a very long time um, as a correction officer. Okay. Um, and, you know, he carried his pistol, like when he was a retired correction officer, he carried his pistol with him. I think it was a revolver. But one time he had, he had left it in the bathroom um, at, my, at my apartment. And, you know, I went in there after him. I was like, oh. Uh, went to, I was like, Papa, you left your, your, your gun in the bathroom. Now, if I was a fool, something bad could have happened. Like, I could have played around with it, blah, blah, whatever. Who knows? Thank God I wasn't like that. But I went and told him. He's like, okay. But he was very responsible about his gun where he kept it. Now, when he got older, he got dementia and started to get, like, Alzheimer's, things of that nature. We made him get rid of his gun. Of course, yeah. Because if you want to really talk about mental illness and things like that, mental health, he had, it had to go. It had to go because you forget things, etc. But I bring him up because... One of my best friends from middle school, again, I grew up without a father, have a good relationship now, but I grew up without a father, right? And my boy and his pops always went hunting. And they invited me to go hunting. I was super excited. I'm like, I was a Boy Scout, but I never got a good chance to go hunting. Like, I did archery before, but I never got a chance to go hunting. I'm like, yo, we about to to go hunt, (laughs) right? I was super excited. My grandfather found out I was going hunting. He Dead the whole situation. He said, he's not going. I'm like, what? Why am I not going? He said, I couldn't go because he said, a boy does not need a gun in his hand. Hmm. Here's a guy who was working as a police correction officer, knew his way around a firearm, legally can carry it, even after he was retired, had a gun in his crib. He said, me, growing up in inner city, growing up in Harlem, single mom, being raised, only boy, youngest, said that boy does not need a gun going hunting he doesn't need a gun in his hand so even he knew that guess what the gun it's not really the gun and everyone's gonna talk about people kill people you know the guns don't kill people people kill people that's 100 percent true but guess what curiosity killed a cat sure did right so my thing is this not only do we need better gun ownership rules and regulations we need better um folks to actually scrutinize and see evaluations about whether or not you're capable of having a firearm, why you're even purchasing one. Um, there need to be better ways. But then even with that situation, right, when you think about the lawmakers, mm. who are the lawmakers? And who's in the pocket of the lawmakers? Who are the ones who are lobbying? We're talking about the NRA. That's one of the biggest lobbies ever with so much power, right? I think it was one comedian who was like, if you want to really fix the gun control laws and everything here, have a bunch of black folks join the NRA overnight <laughs> and become like licensed carrying, like concealed carry gun, gun owners and see if laws start to change. So there's definitely racial undertones there. And there's also gender things coming up too because there's a lot of women who feel like in this sexist patriarchy mm-hmm. that is America, you see Me Too, you see all the sexual assault, et cetera. There are some folks who want to be strapped because they can't trust men. So this, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's so complex, it's nuanced, but at the end, at the end of the day, it's about insecurity, it's about fear, it's about power, and it's about ownership. Not gun ownership, but owning someone else. Accountability. 100%. 100%. That's what's needed. Where is it going to come from? I don't know. Can we trust the lawmakers? I don't know. Has it been shown? But again, every time like, people talk about, and you know, I think you and I both know as, as Aquarius, we like to test the limits. Oh, yes. I mean, some might even call us rebels. Perhaps. Not without a cause or with a cause. Oh, certainly with a cause. So my question is this. You've been in school before. Mm-hmm. You've seen a law that, or a rule that just made no sense. And then not only did you find out that there was a rule that didn't make sense, you then found out who was the person that made the rule. Right. And you didn't respect that person for all the right reasons. You're going to break that rule. Because in your mind, in my mind, you're not breaking anything. Because one, the rule wasn't written for you, and it was written by someone that does not deserve respect. So to me, it's oppressive as opposed to a rule. Yeah, it doesn't apply to me. Exactly. So when you think about law and the folks who get away with breaking the law, the folks who get away with committing crimes, the folks who are walked walked to the police squad car with no harm after doing damage, carnage, versus those who are shot and killed for doing nothing. You want to talk about gun ownership and gun control? Let's start with the police. Yeah, that, that was actually going to be my next point because uh, 
I was thinking about your black people joining the NRA scenario, then I'm thinking now those, you know, traffic stops. Now, if a lot of black people, let's say, are are known to have carrying guns, now that validates their actions. So now there's less justice for them because now they have a reasonable suspicion for you to have a, a firearm. So it's now it makes sense for for people to for police officers to come to your car with a weapons drawn. Mm-hmm. Did you see that happen to Brian Cashman in Florida? No, I didn't see that. Sorry, not Florida, in Connecticut. Oh, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. Yes. So allegedly his car was stolen and then he retrieved it. And apparently I guess the police didn't know that he got it back. Wow. So they, you know, they uh <laughs> They recognized them as they were doing it, but you could clearly tell this is how they were trained. So they had their guns drawn on him. They made him, you know, get out the car and step backwards. Like, you know, you can you can watch the video. Mm-hmm. But essentially, police are being trained to draw guns on a traffic stop, which is interesting. And uh, again, and what I want to say is the folks who are saying that they are afraid of government overstepping their their boundaries mm-hmm. um, they're afraid of tyranny those same folks who are saying those things they're the ones who are not harassed by government which is interesting they're the ones who are not uh taken advantage of they're the ones who don't have their rights abused so are they really stockpiling bullets and guns because they want to protect themselves from a government overhaul i don't think so mm-hmm. i don't think so at all Curious question to be, what do you guys think? It's a great question. I mean, of course, we're not experts. We can only give our opinions. We can only give you uh, some informed decisions that we have made or conclusions that we have drawn based off the stuff that we've seen and heard. Um, but we, we love to hear your thoughts. Intellectually speaking. Amen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 holding back this feeling, feeling heated again, chest all tight, deep breaths, can't breathe again, fighting back these tears, done with all this fear, it's too late to latch the cage, the beast is here, tired of running and playing all types of games, tired of acting like everything's just gonna change. They say love is the answer, love is the key Man, tell that cop right in my chest With his knee, it's called the beast, it's called the beast Beast is hate, represented as a cop With self-hate, brother and brother All types of hate, I swear to God Certain things my people have to escape